Tomorrow we're talking recruiting. So today we are talking about Oregon's opponent this week. What to watch for from the Stanford Cardinal as they come to Autzen Stadium on Saturday. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Oregon Ducks, which is why, if you have not already, please like, comment, and subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Thank you to everybody out there who just got us to 1,200 subscriptions on the YouTube channel. I appreciate all of you out there. It helps with the show tremendously when you do all of that. So please continue. And I very much appreciate all of you who have and who will do so in the future. I hope there are more of you, at least. Anyway, going into this game against Stanford, I have a question to pose to all of you that you may or may not know the answer to. But given the nature of this show, maybe you will know the answer. We're going to find out, or at least you're going to find out in your heads if you're as smart as I think most of you may be. Who was the last Pac-12 team that Stanford defeated as a football program? That would be the Oregon Ducks. It has not been a good run for the Cardinal. They have struggled mightily over the course of last season after that Oregon game, which was a highlight, and then it was all downhill from there. They got routed by Cal last year. It was that bad for the Cardinal. They didn't lose to Cal. They were smacked by Cal. Might happen again this season if if the Cardinal can't turn things around. And by the way, lest we forget that game against Stanford was a game that had some questionable officiating at the end. Oregon failed to execute in the red zone by just taking a field goal that would have ended up winning them the game at the end of the first half. And Anthony Brown didn't pitch the ball to CJ Verdell for a walk-in touchdown. And you had the officiating at the end of the game. And Joe Moorhead wasn't there. That's the last time Stanford won a Pac-12 game. This is not the Stanford Cardinal team of old. I thought coming into this year, they would be better than they have been so far. They didn't look bad against USC. They looked okay. But they didn't look great. They didn't execute in the red zone. Then they went to Washington. Game never really felt close. It kind of was, but not really. Washington covered the 13.5-point spread. USC covered the 8-point spread. It was 41-28 final, but uh, the Trojans were up big at the half. Stanford moved the ball in that game on the ground against the USC defense that's been vulnerable to that this year, but they turned the ball over in the red zone. Uh, EJ Smith had a fumble. Tanner McKee threw an interception down there, and that was ultimately their undoing. So, They have had tough times, and part of the reason that Stanford is not what they once were is their defense is that this is not the Stanford defense of old. Oregon's defense this week, or offense, I have high expectations for Bo Nix and company because they went up and played a Washington State team that is currently better than this Stanford team. And yes, they struggled to execute in the red zone in the first half, but they moved the ball, and they made adjustments in the second half. And they scored 29 points in the fourth quarter en route to that thrilling comeback victory. This is a Stanford defense that through three games that has featured Colgate, a type of toothpaste, 
USC in their second game with all the transfers and their new coach, and Washington, which has been firing on all cylinders through the first three weeks of the season, or four, yeah, four, through the first four weeks. And and Stanford had a bye in week three. They had a bye going into Washington. They couldn't get the offense going, and they couldn't stop Michael Penix, who had over 300 yards passing. But through those three games for Stanford this season, their defense allowing just over 30 points a game and just over 400 yards per game. Think about when Stanford and Oregon was the premier matchup in the Pac-12. Early 2010s, Chip Kelly, Jim Harbaugh, Chip Kelly, David Shaw. That era of Stanford game, or that era of Stanford football, the foundation was an ability to play good defense and for the offense to run the ball in a power sense and control the clock. And they just don't do that anymore. They've got a new look offense that's very RPO heavy. They do it in a way that basically no one else does and sets up for a lot of one-on-one matchups. I think we'll touch on that a little more on, on Friday's show. Today's just a little more of a, of a broad overview, but very fascinating what, what's happened to Stanford and how they've just fallen off and, and they've just lost their way. All three teams they've played this year, including Colgate, have run for at least 150 yards on the Stanford team. That was last a year ago in rush defense. And Oregon didn't run the ball as well as they maybe could have a a season ago against the Cardinal. Only had 24 points in regulation or 31. I think think it was 31. I think it was 38-31 final in in, in overtime, if memory serves. But I try not to think about that game whenever I can, you know, avoid it. (laughs) Oregon should be able to move the ball at will. Caleb Williams threw the ball, hit deep shots, had quick hitters. Everything was effective. Michael Penix and Washington. They were at home. He had another 300-yard passing game. Every team has run for at least 150 yards. Oregon should have at least 400 yards of offense in this game. I mean, that is an expectation, and anything short of that will be a little disappointing or something will have gone wrong because this Stanford team just has not been able to put it together, and they have been a bottom dweller in the Pac-12 for the last couple of years, and it doesn't look like they've righted the ship. I don't think they're a Colorado or Arizona State level of a calamity, but they are certainly a far cry from the Stanford teams we know and have been scared of in the past. Now, last year's Stanford team wasn't good. Oregon found a way to lose that game. I think if you have Joe Moorhead, that game is won pretty easily. You, you don't have your play caller on offense. I don't care what other situations you've got. That's a brutal spot to be in. Moorhead, who is a lead on third downs, who was elite in critical situations, that is not a place where where a team is set up for success. In fact, it's quite the opposite. That's a really tough spot to be in. Um, both both the uh, the quarterbacks that that have gone up against the Stanford defense have thrown for 300 or more yards. With the confidence that Bo Nix and this offense have to have right now, you got to imagine that that's another expectation. Right, I, I think Oregon should have at least 450 total yards of offense in this game. They should be able to run for 150, and they're arguably a better running team than either Washington or USC. The Trojans are capable, but we've seen what that Oregon offensive line has been doing. They're just gashing teams. And the Stanford teams that you're thinking of from 6, 7, 8, or 10 years ago that were really physical up front, and it was tough for the, those kind of undersized but more mobile Chip Kelly offensive linemen to run against, that's not what Stanford has here. David Bailey is a preseason freshman All-American. He's a pretty good player. 
But other than that, they just don't have the bodies up front. Uh, in the front seven, it is not what it used to be. And this offensive line in that sense should be able to feast. I think you could have a game script that looks a lot like BYU, where Oregon's running for over 200 yards, so Bo Nix doesn't have to do quite as much. I could certainly see that playing out. But the offense has been so explosive, and they have one good corner in Caillou Blue Kelly, who wasn't able to cover Jordan Addison. But then again, who is able to cover Jordan Addison? The answer is pretty much nobody in the country, let alone in the Pac-12. I'd love to see Christian Gonzalez get a shot at him, but Addison is a ridiculous athlete, NFL guy for sure. I think that Oregon has the potential here to have a really good offensive game because I trust the Washington State defense. I think they've got better players, and I think they're better coached than what Stanford has shown this season and dating back to last year as well. It's been a continuation of the struggles that they that they showed a year ago. And, it, you know, offensively, the Cardinal were held to 20 points against Washington. Some of that, I think, came late. They scored just seven points in the first half. They were on the road. It's a tough environment up there at Husky Stadium. It's going to be a tough environment at Autzen. But they were held to 86 rushing yards. 86 rushing yards. The Stanford Cardinal. It doesn't sound right, but that's where this program is. Last year, they were bottom two in the conference in rush defense and rush offense. Imagine saying that as a potential in even as recent as 2015 or 16. Be outlandish. It'd be ridiculous. And yet, it's the reality. If you wanted to bet any number in that game, you'd go to bet online. You're number one source for football betting info this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball, Go Mariners, MMA, Boxing, and Golf. Head to BetOnline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. So Oregon uh, this season has had a lot of success against the run. I mean, a lot. And I don't look at the Georgia game a ton because that's just a different caliber of opponent. They look like they're a step or two above everybody in the country through the first four weeks of the season. But Oregon, since that game, I believe Georgia got over 100 yards. But their last two opponents, BYU and Washington State, with defensive coaches who want to have a balanced approach and be able to run the football, both of those teams were held under 70 yards rushing. The pass defense has been a little suspect at times, but that's also a matter of volume. Teams are throwing the ball a lot more. Washington State did, I think, as the game went on because they realized, oh, we can't run against this front seven. A front seven that didn't get consistent pressure on the quarterback until a week ago has been stout against the run. Remember what I said against BYU or recapping the game against BYU? DJ Johnson may have may not have recorded a sack in that game, but man, he had a good game against the run. He set the edge, he was physical, and there was nowhere to go. And you know another thing to think about that's, I think, flown under the radar when it comes to this Oregon defense through four weeks in the season? Noah Sewell and Justin Flo have been out there basically as often as they can be. And on that drive where Oregon forced a three and out, got it back to the offense before Bo Nix hit Troy Franklin for the 50-yard game winner against the Cougs. You know who made that play on first down? Justin Flo. And he bursts right through the hole, pile drives the guy into the turf. Having those two linebackers there, it's not going to help you much against the pass. 
and one of them often isn't on the field in a passing situation in a 4-2-5, which is what Lanning and Tosh Lupoy are running, and that's what we expected coming into the year, it's usually Jeffrey Bossa because he's much better in pass coverage, and he's much better playing in space. But you talk about stopping the run, those two are as good a tandem as you're going to find in the country. And Brandon Dorless is a beast. And Casey Rogers has been really good. I think the biggest surprise of the defensive line has been Casey Rogers. He he is active every play you look at. He is doing something good. Well, I mean, I'm sure not every single play. If you looked at it PFF style and watched every snap that number 98 takes in the green and yellow, you could find some plays where he's not perfect. But he seems to be a disruptor up there. Dorless can make offensive linemen miss like it's nothing. And then DJ Johnson had two sacks last week, also had two tackles for loss and was really good against the run against BYU. You combine that with Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, and you make it tough for teams to run. So I talked about the statistical expectations for Oregon's offense. Stanford should not get to 100 rushing yards in this game. They have a new approach that I'm sure Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy are studying and are prepping the defense for extensively, where they have this long mesh and it's RPO base, and they want to suck everybody down, create one-on-ones over the top, and get space in behind. It worked pretty well against USC. They just couldn't execute in the red zone. Sound familiar? But if Oregon can shut down the run without having to bring extra guys into the box, and they can do it just with their front four and the Noah Sewell and Justin Flow, then that limits what Stanford's new offensive philosophy is going to be able to do in the passing game because you're going to have more bodies back there to cover, and that's what Oregon needs. Now, if I'm David Shaw, I'm trying to you know, get the ball to Michael Wilson, their best receiver, or Benjamin Urosik, their, their tight end, who's very athletic. I'm getting the ball to them on quick hitters, getting the ball in space. That's where Oregon's been vulnerable, and hopefully they'll be able to make those sorts of adjustments this week. But from a rushing perspective, Oregon should be over 150 because each of the previous three opponents have, and I expect them to be with the way that offensive line is played. And Stanford should be under 100. And I I feel confident going into this game. Oregon Open is about a 16-point favorite. It's up to 17, 17 and a half, according to our friends at Bet Online, or depending on what sports book you're you're looking at at that point in, at that point in time. But that tandem of Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, they may not be making the flashy plays all the time. But that stat, back-to-back opponents under 70 rushing yards. Eight quarters, in the last eight quarters of football that Oregon has played, opponents have run, I think it's for about 130 yards. That is remarkable. And it may not always show up in the box score. Sometimes it does. Flo had one or two TFLs in the game against Washington State. Noah Sewell had nine tackles. But they don't always make the explosion plays. But teams struggle to run the ball because your front four gets a push and because your linebackers know what they're doing. And those two have been really good. And somehow, I think kind of the unsung heroes, because a lot of the focus for Duck fans, understandably, is where the weaknesses are and where we still need to see the team improve. And that's the quick hitting pass defense, the screen game, bubble screens, quick hitters who struggle to defend those this year. Hopefully that continues to improve. Something I'll talk about a little later in the show, but the rush defense could not have been. I don't think Oregon could be stopping the run any better than they are right now. And if that continues against Stanford, you're going to put it on the right arm of Tanner McKee, who's capable of being a solid quarterback. I, I think he's a guy who maybe projects a little better in the NFL because I, I just don't know if 
David Shaw has still got the chops offensively. I, I just haven't seen the evidence over the last couple of years. It's gone down and it doesn't seem to be going back up. And this new offensive philosophy, you'll see if you haven't go watch some YouTube highlights of it. It's it's interesting. It, it's it's unique. And Oregon's going to have to be ready for it. But so far, hasn't yielded phenomenal results. And I, I think that that is telling. And, and I expect the Oregon defense to to play well. But you know, it's also Stanford. <laughs> it's also um, felt that way going into last year's game. Psh, we beat Ohio State on the road. Why can't we beat Stanford on the road? I don't know. Offensive coordinator's not there. Officials get wonky over the last 90 seconds. You don't take a field goal at the end of the first half. You don't pitch a ball on that play, so you get stuffed on a goal line stand. I mean, that, that that's how. That's how you win that game, but... I, I don't see that as being a repeatable formula for, for Stanford, and, and I feel good about Oregon going into this game, really on both sides of the ball. And it, it's one that I think is more likely to be an Oregon blowout win because they're at home than it is to be an upset loss. Doesn't mean that that can't happen. You can never rule it out. The Cardinal and the Ducks have played a lot of wacky games over the years, a lot of them. We, 2018 was wacky. Ertz was out in 2012. Heck, 2010 in Oregon's undefeated regular season, that was a crazy game. Oregon was down 21 to three, and they came back like to win 52 to 31. It's an incredible run of football. You go 49 to 10 against a team that went 12 and one and won the Fiesta Bowl that year. I expect Oregon's defense to play well as long as they can figure out what they need to do schematically against the RPO look. I think they'll be all right. And the good news for the pass rush too. You're going up against Tanner McKee, not Cam Ward. He's a big guy, got a pretty good arm. He's not going to run around. So if you can beat your guy, it's no longer an issue to try and tackle him in space. It's at least not as difficult as it was to get Cam Ward on the ground, who's an evasive athlete and made a Mariota-esque play. That flip when he's just getting away from pressure and he sends it end over end to the running back who gets a first down, that's tippy cap. That's a heck of a football play. That is one heck of a football play. You probably need to make a heck of a hire this year because these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Go on there, post your job to your profile and add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs as number one in delivering quality hires versus their leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. So some news surrounding the Oregon football program to wrap up today's show. And then a couple of mailbag questions as well. And I love mailbag questions at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks, Twitter DMS, Twitter mentions, YouTube comments. Those work as well. A lot of ways to get a question answered here on the show. But a couple of news items going into the Stanford game. Stephen Jones did not make the trip up to Pullman. He was last seen on a scooter with a, a boot, nursing some sort of foot or ankle injury. Based on what I've seen so far, 
No reason to rush him back. Marcus Harper, most underappreciated duck right now. I mean, the offensive line in general, you're not going to hear a ton of names get thrown out. They'll just be referred to as a unit and how they're performing. But when Ryan Walk was out and Stephen Jones was there, Marcus Harper filled in. And then it was Jones is out and Walk is back and Marcus Harper's filled in. Has anyone noticed a drop-off? You usually have that. That's why you have first stringers and second stringers, because the first stringer is usually a little better than the first stringer. I haven't noticed any sort of drop-off. And he deserves a lot of plaudits for that, because to come into that situation, and he's played both left guard and right guard. He's primarily been at, at left, I think, is where he's been at his best. But for him to come in, know the communication, know the calls, execute, and get out there and just play solid football, it's a, it's a big time thing from him. So I, I, I don't want to see Steven Jones rush back and potentially re-aggravate something. You know, I don't think Oregon needs to take that chance because the offensive line, the jumbo package with Josh Connerly and Patrick Herbert and Montevau and Ferguson, and everybody in there has worked great too. I, I just, and Cam McCormick, uh, you know, I've talked a lot about the tight ends. Cam McCormick's been active and Oregon is using all three tight ends, all four tight ends, Ferguson, McCormick, um, Montevau and Herbert. I think the offensive line's been great, so no need to rush back there. Here's a less ideal piece of news. DJ Johnson appealed that targeting call that Dan Lanning, you know, held himself together a little bit, but you could tell he was ticked off about because it was a bad call, and they appealed it because what can happen now, and this is at least a step in the right direction, I stand by, I'm going to say it from now until the NCAA changes this idiotic rule. Unless you can clearly demonstrate malicious intent on the part of a defender, stop throwing kids out of games and then suspending them for a half for targeting. It's ridiculous. It's so dumb. Of all the dumb things the NCAA has done over the years, that might be the dumbest. That you are removing opportunities for kids to play football. There are anywhere from 12 to 14 chances to do that per day in an entire year, and you are taking them off the field for something they're not trying to do. Now, if someone comes in as a free run at the quarterback and clearly goes for the helmet to helmet, then you can throw them out of the game. But this accidental stuff being this punitive, it's ridiculous. It needs to stop. And DJ Johnson appealed because you can go to the officials after the game and say, hey, this was called for targeting, but we don't think it should have risen to that level, at least where he should be suspended for the first half of the next game. That appeal was denied because officials are incompetent in a large scale. And I don't know how you look at that. He, he doesn't lead with the crown in his helmet. It's a helmet to the chest plate, and it's his face mask. Like, I don't know. I, I don't see how it's targeting in the first place. I definitely don't see how upon review you say, yeah, he has to stay out. But Oregon is without the guy who has probably been their most disruptive player on the defensive line outside of Brandon Dorless this season for the first half of the game. I still feel confident in the defense because of the depth that Oregon has shown to have up there. But would I rather have DJ Johns for all four quarters? Yeah, I would. And that part sucks. Okay, let's get to a couple of mailbag questions. Again, smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. Those are the Twitter handles. YouTube comments, I monitor those too. That's where both of these questions come from. Warren Forens, which is a funny name, asks, will Cardwell transfer? On Twitter, his mom said he was ready to play, and his dad says he's been healthy, ready to play. This is a very murky area, and I, I, I will answer your question, Warren Forens, but I'll say that we've gotten different reports from Byron's parents on Twitter 
versus what the coaching staff has said. I'm not going to speculate as to who is right here. What I will say is that even with Cardwell healthy in the rotation, I see him as the fourth best running back here. I, I do. And it's not that I don't think he can be good, but when you watch Noah Whittington and Bucky Irving, Irving is the best of them. I don't think that that's arguable. He's so elusive and he's such a well-rounded back and he does a lot of things and he's clearly cleaned up the drops that he had in that Georgia game. He made the fourth down catch that if he doesn't make against Washington state, Oregon loses the game. So he's improved in that area, but he's shifty. He's elusive and he runs physically. Noah Whittington reminds me a lot of CJ Verdell, but with more agility in that he's coming downhill. He wants to punch you in the mouth. Byron Cardwell is a good running back. He's not that shifty. He's doesn't have a ton of make you miss, but he has good patience. He has good balance and he has good acceleration. What I think separates him and and not in a good way, Cardwell from the other two guys or how the other two have kind of differentiated themselves and move themselves up the depth chart is that they hit the hole harder than Cardwell does. And they finish their runs harder than Byron. It's just not in his nature. And by the way, it's not in everybody's nature. LaMichael used to love to run guys over. LeGarrette would run guys over. Freeman would run guys over. DeAnthony didn't. Kenyon didn't. And this staff clearly prefers a running back who's going to be more adaptable when it comes to taking and making contact. And Irving and Whittington, like if, if Cardwell does end up transferring, yeah, it would suck a little, but it's not like Oregon's running game has been bad. Like anyone who has an instinct to say, well, you know, Cardwell should be playing more. Man, he's good. He deserves this. It's really hard to question the results with how this team has run the football through four games. It's really, really hard to say they should be doing something different. I was a big Sean Dollars fan coming into the year, and he's relegated now basically to a passing down back because that's what they see him as, and he's the best pass catcher of the bunch. Byron can do that too. And maybe he'll get more carries going forward. But I look at Whittington and Irving and I say, how can I justify going to somebody else when I watch these two guys run? I see what they can do, what Byron cannot. And if Oregon's offensive line wasn't as good, I wonder how Byron would be able to would be able to operate because he's just not a very physical runner. He's a little bit more of a speed guy around the edges who operates well when he has time to set up his blocks. And that's not always what this running scheme is about with, with Kenny Dillingham and and the type of running back. I think that Dan Lanning's used to having coming from uh, the sec. Will he transfer? I don't know if it'll happen during the season because he's been hurt at least a little bit and, and coming back from that. Could I see it happening during the season? Yeah. Would it probably happen after the season? Yeah, I, I think so. And, and when that day comes, which I, I anticipated this rate, it will. Yeah, it'd be a little disappointing, but it was kind of disappointing when Trey Benson left, but Oregon's fine, right? Trey Benson left the program, or sorry, Trey Benson left the, well, he left the program and chose not to be a part of the program, and he's a good college running back. He makes plays at Florida State. I've seen him do some good things. I watch him run. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what it looked like he'd be when he came out of college. And it's disappointing because sometimes player or fans get attached to players and say like, wow, I really wanted that guy or I thought he could do this. And look, maybe you can, but the coaching staff sees other players as being better. 
And so far, you can't argue with the results that Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington have delivered. So I, I don't feel as bad about it. And I'd expect it to take place probably after the season. And I won't be surprised. I'd love for him to stick around because I'd love to have just a stupid amount of depth at running back. But I also think with Dante Dowdell coming in, Jordan James being there, that Oregon's got plenty of depth at that position and they'll be okay no matter what. Uh, last question here. And I love when I've got multiple questions for one show. It's like my favorite thing ever. I love the engagement from all of you. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Nick P asks, I do want to know maybe if you have an opinion on what has to happen with this team's secondary. Is it a secondary talent issue or a screen issue? I assume by screen issue, you mean an inability to defend screen passes. And the solution to defending screen passes is just drop Mace Funa out there and let him go intercept the ball. That's, of course, not very repeatable. Schematically, what Oregon is doing is they're they're geared up to stop the run with this 4-2-5 in a way that I, I think most teams run that sort of approach to gear up to stop the pass. But Oregon's very conscious about having that guy, you know, kind of in the box, hanging around, ready to come down, Jamal Hill, Bennett Williams, those sorts of players. There have been moments where they've defended on the perimeter well, right? Like that fourth down against BYU, they swung it out wide. That was played perfectly. But I think what you've seen so far is when you have a 4-2-5 and you have that many guys who are further away from the line of scrimmage, to get out there in space and make plays, you do have to rely on your linebackers a little bit. And Noah Sewell and Justin Flo so far, I think are just not reading and diagnosing the screen passes quickly enough and getting to where they need to go. And, you know, screen passes, when called at the right time, are also really tough to defend. They're not impossible to defend, and Oregon's getting gashed for them with too many yards after the catch. But that's kind of what I'm seeing. You don't have the linebackers recognizing what is happening and getting out there to make the play quick enough. And by the time they do, the blockers are already set up. And, and everything happens, you know, bang, bang on a screenplay, right? Cam Ward was putting it the belly of a running back, pulling it out and slinging it out like a gunslinger. And shouldn't have said sling twice, but anyway. He's slaying it out there really, really quick, and you have to be able to read and diagnose. And I don't think Oregon's linebackers are doing a great job of that. I think the defensive line, like with Mace Funa, you know, in a non-joking way, can be better at that too, of feeling, hey, the offensive linemen are letting me go. I need to get out there, right? And I think part of it's a communication thing. It can get better with time. I don't think it's a total talent issue. You know, TriQuest Bridges has been picked on a little this year. He's also made a couple really good plays. Dante Manning only played a little bit. You know, I'm not sure what the coaches are seeing between those two that's allowing Triquez to separate from Dante, but I don't think that's a surefire, you know, starter for the rest of the year for Triquez Bridges. He could be, right? But would I be surprised if at one point Dante Manning, or heck, maybe even by the end of the year, Jalil Florence, you never know, steps up and is the consistent number two corner? No, not at all. And I, I think what, what you're having in the secondary as well is the strong safety of the bunch or the the two guys who are kind of playing in the box in, in that 4-2-5 if you're not running a too high safety, Jamal Hill, Bennett Williams, good tacklers, good players. They've been effective in those situations. Steve Stevens and Brian Addison, neither one is a phenomenally explosive athlete and both have struggled at times to tackle in space. Stevens more so. Um, I think that's a position where Look, Oregon lost first-team All-American in Verone McKinley, and he was not just good intercepting passes, but he was really good reading and diagnosing plays. Go watch the Ohio State game from last year. His recognition and, and diagnostic ability 
against any given play was really good, and he had enough speed. And I think Oregon's lost something in that sense that's contributing to to some of the lapses defensively. And safety was the biggest concern I had for for the defense coming into the year. And I think that's that's coming to fruition because Williams and Hill are kind of hybrid safety linebacker players, but Stevens and Addison, the, the staff see those as the two best guys. Occasionally they do some good things, but I see them out of position behind plays or missing tackles in space. And Bridges has that problem as well more often than not. So I, I think it's a little bit of talent issue, but I, I really believe that the team as a whole is just not diagnosing the screen passes fast enough. I wonder how often we'll see that from Stanford because they're not a very screen heavy team. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.